For just a few minutes this afternoon, I'd like to take a look at the effectual, fervent, silent prayer that availeth much. This morning we looked at the short prayer, the effectual short prayer. And when the woman came to Christ and she said, Lord, help me. And when the Lord did help her, and the Lord did drive out the unclean spirit and the devil out of her daughter's life. We know the Apostle Peter prayed a short prayer one time when he was walking on the water to go to Christ and he took his eyes off the Savior and saw the waves as they were coming in the ship and felt the boisterous winds. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. As he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. That was a three-word prayer. And it was very effectual because the Lord reached down with his hand and caught Peter and delivered him from drowning. So a prayer doesn't have to be lengthy to be effectual. We see it can be very short and to the point. Sometimes I call these emergency prayers, like Peter especially. That was, a, that was an emergency prayer for Peter. When he first started walking in the water, I'm sure he wasn't thinking about prayer. But when he started down about the third time, he was uh, practicing prayer. <laughs> and uh, he... He said the right thing, Lord, save me, and the Lord did. But two people come to my mind when I think about the silent prayer, and one of them is uh, in the case of a woman named Hannah. When we look at the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1 and chapter 2, we find that Hannah was childless, and she desired a child very, very, very much. And her husband had more than one wife, and the other wife, she didn't have any trouble uh, bringing forth children. And she would criticize Hannah or kind of mock Hannah, make fun of Hannah. And Hannah had to bear the, the blunt of that um, day after day or year after year. So we come to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and look at verse 10. It says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. Now, Eli judged according to appearance, didn't he? Like the Lord said, judge not according to the appearance. He saw her mouth moving and no sound coming out. And he thought that Hannah had drunk too much. He had no idea that she was praying. But she was praying from her heart. Her prayer was mental. And when I get to thinking about it, uh, just about all my prayers are that way. And I'm sure all, just about all your prayers are that way. Now this morning we had public prayer where it was not mental. I just tried to say a prayer uh, that was not mental. We usually have an opening prayer and a closing prayer. In public settings, these prayers can be heard. And we ask brethren to pray that we believe, understand what prayer is about and can lead us all in prayer. And it's just like we're all praying together. And so that's the case in a public setting. But in a private setting, again, it's different. Uh, I, I know I mentioned it to you before one time, my father was staying with me. 
Um, my mother had passed away, and Dad was here, and we all went to bed. He was sleeping upstairs, and I heard, I heard some talking, and I was concerned, and I, I went up the stairs and to inquire, and I spoke to my father, and wanted to know if he was okay. He said, "Well, I'm, I'm fine." He said, "I'm just praying." <laughs> so he was in good shape. He was praying, but he was praying out loud on that occasion. Uh, but most time, all of our prayers are silent. How many times does a father pray around the family and the family knows nothing about it? How many times does a husband, does a husband pray and his wife may not realize what's happening or the wife is praying and uh, the husband doesn't realize what's going on? She's praying to the Lord in her mind, in her heart. She's just not opening her mouth and words are just not coming out for all to hear. And so Hannah is praying a silent prayer from the standpoint of her husband, uh, not realizing what she's doing. But while it was silent to him, it was certainly not silent to God. And she is praying diligently, fervently, and turns out effectually for a child. She desired a child so much. It was not that she could uh, uh, keep the other wife from criticizing her or mocking her. That was not the purpose. She desired to have a child for all the right reasons. And up to now, she just simply had not had one. But she didn't give up. She went to the Lord, to the one that could change things. And she asked him to remember her. Uh, that means take notice of her and intervene in, uh, on her behalf. And so when Eli uh, questioned her, when she spoke in her heart and when her lips moved, he thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Again, he judged according to the appearance. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now, when a person does that, you know, that they're, they're really praying. <laughs> Have you prayed before, but you didn't really think you really prayed? <laughs> and maybe you didn't. Maybe it was just words. They were good words and appropriate words, and you wanted to thank God, and, and you did. But your mind, as you prayed, was in other places. And your soul really wasn't into it as it should have been. You know, I think we should pray when we get up in the morning to thank God for a night's rest. And I think we should pray at night before we go to sleep to thank the Lord for another day of his provisions. And sometimes we might just go through the words. It just might be academic. You know, we're, we're just frail and we're weak, and that's just the way it is. But when you pour out your soul, now, now you're, you're getting <laughs> into the spirit of prayer. This woman is praying. Her soul is being poured out. She's going to the throne of grace. She's going to the throne of God. She's going to the one that can change her life. She's going to the one that can change things and change, uh, you know, uh, what uh, her life at that very moment and her life down the road in the future. And so she says, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunken neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Baal. That's just an expression of, of the wicked or the ungodly. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken thereunto. She tries to explain herself in this regard. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou ask of him. He said, You go in peace, and may God answer this prayer. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. It's like at this point she's put her case in the hands of God. She's expressed herself the best she knows how. 
She's poured out her soul to the Lord. And now she's put it in his hands. And that's a good place to put things, isn't it? You know, once you've done that, there's no need to fret. Once you've done that, there's no need to, you know, be concerned and, and to be worried. In fact, you know, as an old saying, pray about everything and worry about nothing. Now, if we can just put that into the memory bank and apply it daily, we'll all be far better off to pray about everything and worry about nothing. Worrying is basically not trusting God. There's a difference in worrying and being concerned. I'm concerned about many things, but I try my best not to worry about anything. And the best way to, not to worry about things is to pray about everything so you won't worry about anything. And so that's just a good, good way to do it. And so this, to me, is what she's done. This is a burden she's carried for a long time. It's a heavy weight she's had for a long time. But she's reached a point where she just pours her soul out to the Lord. It's not saying she hadn't prayed prior to this. I'm sure that she had. But it's reached a point where she just, I have a feeling when she got through praying this prayer, she was probably exhausted. She just poured out her soul to the Lord. And she comes forth before the Lord knowing that the Lord is able and so she pours out her soul into the Lord, and now she goes in peace. She's done what she could. Now she'll have to wait to see what the will of the Lord is. So she explains this unto to Eli. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. You know, that's what prayer do a lot of times, isn't it? It'll take the sadness away. Um, when you, again, when you've committed these things to the Lord, in the Old Testament, when people did that, oftentimes the Bible spoke about how they spread their hands before the Lord. They spread their hands toward heaven. That's just a symbolic gesture saying they put everything once again in God's hands. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord. Notice the next act here. They worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Her prayer has been answered. Maybe it's like I said this morning. Her prayer had been accepted perhaps a long time before. But now her prayer has been answered. And the Lord remembered her. And her husband knew her. And now she is going to conceive and bring forth one of the most uh, important men in Israel's history. She is going to bring forth a son. She's going to call his name Samuel. And the word Samuel literally means because I've asked him of the Lord. She names him after the experience. She has this child. And you notice here, she's going to fulfill her vow. She's going to do exactly what she said. And the man, Elkanah, and all of his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up. For she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. This child she wanted. She will not actually raise him to adulthood. She'll raise him up to the age of weaning him. Then she's going to bring him to the house of God, going to commit him to the Lord from that time forward. She's going to give him back to the Lord in that regard. He will be a Nazarite in that sense. And he's going to be, again, one of the most outstanding men in Israel's history, a great prophet that came into existence as a result of silent prayer. This woman prayed silently, but she prayed fervently. She prayed silently, but she prayed effectually. She prayed silently in the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, that means woman as well, availeth much. Her prayer was answered. 
She brought forth a child. She named him Samuel. She did exactly what she said she would do. And verse 27, 28. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. We see what kind of woman Hannah was. She kept her word. She kept her commitment. And then in chapter 2, it opens up and says, And Hannah prayed. Now, this time, Hannah is going to be heard. The first prayer was silent. This prayer will not be silent. The first prayer was mental. This prayer will not be mental. This prayer shall be heard to all that are within the sound of her voice. And it's actually a song. And it's the Lord inspired her, I believe, to pin down this poetically, but it's called a prayer. It's a song, but it's called a prayer. And it's a prayer or a song of praise and thanksgiving. What should follow answered prayer? Praise, should it not? You can't separate them, at least you shouldn't. In 1 Timothy 2 and 1, Paul said, first of all, that all of our prayers and supplications and our petitions and our thanksgivings be made known unto God. Now, thanksgiving and praise are basically one and the same. You shouldn't separate prayer from praise. The Lord has heard our prayer, the Lord has answered our prayer, then we certainly should praise Him for that. Again, the first prayer is mental, the second prayer is outward, is vocal, and it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Now notice she didn't rejoice in Samuel, not in this here. She rejoiced in the Lord who gave her Samuel. She looked over the gift to the giver. And, you know, we got to do that, right? We know, like Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord for he giveth, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Everything we have is a gift from God. That includes our family members, our wife, our husband, our children, and grandchildren. And we need to look over the gift to the giver. It's the giver that we're to praise and not the gift. So she is not thanking the Lord for Samuel, although I know she must have had a thankful heart for him. But she's praising him. She's giving thanksgiving to him. Again, notice here, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. The Lord heard my petition. The Lord heard my cry. The Lord heard my prayer. And the Lord has blessed me to have this child, Samuel, because I asked of the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. The word horn here literally means like an exalt, a place of exaltation, like a, a mountain peak, something, that which is, which is high. And she says, my horn is exalted. Uh, she is lifted up, in other words. Just like the psalmist tells us God can lift the beggar out of the, out of the dung hill, you know, and, and lift us out of the very dust of the earth. And so she was really, really down prior to the Lord answering her prayer. She was a woman of great sorrow, but now she's no longer that woman of sorrow. She left that place in peace when God answered her prayer, where she felt like she had prayed and the Lord did. She left in peace. Now she is exalted. Now she is lifted up. You know, the Lord told his disciples, he says, those who are exalted should be abased, and those who are abased should be exalted. Now, that sounds like a paradox, but they're both true. When we're lifted up in our own pride, our own arrogance, our own abilities and everything else, when we're lifted up, we're going to come down. Just like uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar, he came down 
when he walked out, looked at his kingdom, said, look at this great kingdom which I have put together, so to speak. And next thing you know, he's out in the field in grazing grass like the oxen. His hair has grown like bird feathers, his nails like bird claws. And he remained there for a season until he finally acknowledged the God of heaven. He said, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. But God works his will among the army of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? And when he made that statement, then God restored him back. He was exalted, he became abased, he was abased, and God then exalted him back to the throne when he recognized and praised God and realized that he was only on that throne because God allowed him to be so. So the Lord taught this lesson, especially uh, uh, applicable to the Pharisees in his day. You see, when that Pharisee in public and prayed, the Pharisee was exalted, <laughs> but the uh, publican was abased. And when they left there, he says, the publican went away justified rather than the others in a practical sense. He was abased, but the Lord exalted him, not exalted him in his, in his flesh, in his nature, but exalted him in the spirit of God. So Hannah prayed, said, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. I now have answers before when I did not because I rejoice in thy salvation. She rejoiced in God's deliverance. To rejoice in our salvation is important. You have salvation. <laughs> you know, Hebrews 2.1 says, Let us therefore now, um, you know, not be forgetful of these things. He says that we might, uh, because God has given us a great salvation, let us not neglect that great salvation that God has given us. Why is God's salvation so great? Because it's complete. It is sure. Uh, nothing can be taken away from it. Nothing can be added to it. The word Jesus means salvation. God named him appropriately for the work that he was going to do. He is the Savior of sinners. So we should rejoice in that. She rejoiced in God's salvation. You know, when Jonah was spit out of the belly of the whale, what was his words? When he was in the belly of the whale, been there three days and three nights, and seaweed was wrapped around his head, and he was just in a, a terrible situation, was he not? A terrible condition. I can just see him now. Wouldn't you just love to have been by him when he got spit up and smelled him when he got out on the, on the, on the seashore? Had <laughs> he been down there in the belly of that whale three days and three nights? You know why the Lord spit him out? What did he say? I know you know the answer to this. He said, salvation is of the Lord. When he said salvation is of the Lord, that whale just spit him up on dry ground. And sometimes I think God's people, when you try to explain to them salvation is of the Lord, they just kind of like to spit you out. Uh, you know, they really would. But I tell you, I'm not ashamed to confess and declare that salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end, from first to last, and I want to rejoice in my salvation. Let us give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, the apostle says, lest at any time we should let them slip. For how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? One way we can neglect God's salvation is by not praising him for it and not rejoicing in it and not being happy in it. What did the Lord tell those, uh, his uh, 70? If you go over to Luke chapter 10, there were 70 sent out in pairs to preach the gospel. And they also had the power over unclean spirits. And the Lord was blessing them to do these miracles and cast the unclean spirits out. And they came back, they came back with joy. They said, you know, in terms of joy, saying, we've been blessed to cast these spirits out. The Lord said, notwithstanding, 
rejoice not that you've been able to cast these unclean spirits out. I don't think the Lord was telling them they shouldn't be glad and happy about it, but he says something better than that. He said, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, if you're God's child, there's a Lamb's book of life, and your name is written there, and God wrote your name there before time ever began. And that's something to rejoice about. That's something to be happy about. That's something to have joy in. And know that your name was pinned down and written by Almighty God in the Lamb's book of life before time ever began. And there's no way your name can ever be taken out of there. And Jesus died for you and saved you from your sins. And we will rejoice in God's salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. He's holiness personified. For there's none beside thee. There's only one true and living God. Neither is there any rock like our God. Compare them. <laughs> You'll not find anyone that you can compare the Lord to. He's the only omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient Lord that there is. He's the only creator God. And therefore all praise goes back to him. Brother, I'm telling you, answered prayer deserves praise and thanksgiving. You know, every stream that you find has a source. And you need to trace the source of that stream back to the fountain. When you start tracing the streams of truth in God's Word, you know where they're going to lead you to? They're going to lead you back to the fountain. <laughs> the fountain where all streams flow from. That they're going to come from that fountain. I want you to focus on the fountain. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ from whom all blessings flow. We sang that hymn, do we not? that speaks about the blessing of God that flow. They do, they flow from heaven. I love this verse in Revelation chapter um, 22, verse 1. He says, I saw heaven opened, and I saw a river clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God. And in the midst of it, it says, was a tree of life. And on either side of it, you know, we have these 12 trees bearing fruit in honor and praise to God. Here is a river of life. And it flows down from the throne of God. Here is where God's people can come and take a drink and enjoy a drink that will satisfy their spiritual soul and their spiritual heart. Hannah knew God deserved the praise. She wasn't going to be quiet about it. She prayed. She poured out her heart. She poured out her soul. God heard her prayer. Her husband knew her. God remembered her. She had a child named him Samuel. And again, he's going to become one of the greatest men and greatest prophets that Israel ever had. And so she writes this song right here, a song actually of prophecy, a spirit of prophecy here. It's a, it's a song, but it's also called a prayer. There are several hymns in our hymn book that when we sing it, it's really a prayer that's been put to music, you know, and we sing those prayers and it honors God and praises God. Here is an effectual, fervent prayer that was a silent prayer. How many silent prayers do you think God's people are praying today? I hope that God will answer those prayers in a way that we can see it and it become manifest and we can honor and praise him and glorify him for his wonderful, wonderful name.